Welcome to the TSN MMA Show. I'm your host, Aaron Bronstetter. We've got a lot to get to today as the MMA world continues to move towards a May 9th restart as uh, UFC 249 will be on May 9th. Not 250, but 249, which I actually think is a bad decision. I don't know why. I feel like the date of 249 was April 18th. You you had all the, the press materials for it and, you know, all the posters and everything. I get that. And your main event had Tony Ferguson involved, of course, with Habib, which is no longer going to happen. But I think you have to go with 250. First off, and I, again, this is all semantics, and I don't know if people really care about this, but here's my rationale. 250 is a nice round number. And that's, you know, whatever. It's branding. It's not that important. But 250 is a nice round number, and you're going to come back with a bang. It was supposed to be three title fights. Now it's going to be two, but you got a pretty stacked card. You've already advertised that 250 is going to happen on this date. Why not just stick with 250? We've we've seen events disappear into the ether in the past. UFC 152, I think, or 151, for example. Can't remember which one it was. The one where Dan Henderson was supposed to face John Jones, and then uh, Dana White called Greg Jackson a sport killer for not having Jones fight Chael Sonnen on short notice. But I digress. And I think there was another one, wasn't there? Like 237 or something. Like there was one somewhat recently that that just disappeared into the ether. Be that as it may, I think that uh, it would make sense just to let 249 sail. Let the ship sail away. You, you know, let it leave the port. And let's welcome in 250. But who cares? We're going to get an event. May 9th. And uh, it seems like the movement to, you know, st- to stop this event from happening or, or to, to say that this event shouldn't be happening has settled down a little bit. You know, the the... The rough waters have sailed because we're kind of understanding more and more what can be done to prevent someone getting the coronavirus and the spread of the coronavirus. But, um, yeah, and like I mentioned on last week's show, I think that the UFC is almost tailor-made to be able to host these events with minimal risk. Not no risk, but minimal risk. Whereas... A league sport would have a lot more risk because it's the same people, the same locker room, day in and day out, more than one game a week, etc. For the most part, you know, I'm not talking NFL, but you know, MLB, NHL, NBA. Speaking of which, the NHL said that they're looking to come back in July, but uh, play in uh, empty venues. But I think that with the UFC playing, you know, hosting an event in an empty venue, you don't have the same people performing week in and week out. You can protect your staff. You can protect your uh, you, you know, they only want to have essential personnel there, so it's not going to be overstaffed. I think that there are ways that you can do these events that will minimize the risk. But let's move past that, and let's look at that particular card. You've got UFC 249 now, and you've got Gaethje versus Ferguson. So what changes about Gaethje versus Ferguson? It was supposed to take place this past Saturday. Of course, now taking place on May 9th. I think the big change is that we're going to have a lot more preparation for Gaethje, but you've also got to look at the flip side of things. Now, everybody last time this was booked kind of on short notice said, well, Gaethje's not going to have a full camp. He's not going to be able to go five full rounds. And Gaethje himself was was kind of open about the fact that he thinks he's got, whatever, two, three good rounds in him. Now he's going to be able to work harder on his cardio. He's going to be able to prepare at least a little bit more four or five round fight. I saw he was working with Kamaru Usman recently, um, among others. And he's he's looking to prepare 
for this particular matchup against Tony Ferguson. Now, the reason why I think that this also helps Tony Ferguson is because he was training for a completely different fight. I mean, Khabib Nurmagomedov's style and Gaethje's style couldn't be more opposite. I think that now you have the chance to change up your looks in training, to have somebody come at you in the way that a Justin Gaethje would come at you and be able to improvise, be able to come up with with strategies for how to stop an action fighter like that. Not that it's something that Ferguson hasn't been confronted with in the past, but Gaethje happens to be the best at it. I mean, Gaethje, in terms of action fighters, in terms of people that move forward in his particular style, it's hard to find someone who's better than Justin Gaethje at doing what Justin Gaethje does. Um, and that's just push the pace. That's maximum output. That's maximum taking maximum damage to give maximum damage. You know, he's he's a very unique fighter when it comes to MMA. And, you know, there's a lot of technique in what he does. This isn't a guy that's just throwing punches and throwing punches and bunches and, and hoping to connect with one of them, especially in recent fights. You've seen a lot of timing um, improvements. You've seen a lot of defense improvements. He's evolved a lot as a fighter and continues to evolve as a fighter. So to think that we're going to get that same Justin Gaethje exactly is, you know, it, it would be silly to think that you're still going to get that same Justin Gaethje. But I also think that you have to imagine that the Gaethje we are going to get is still going to have that kind of same mentality. The, the go forward, throw, give everything you got, and, you know, take one to give one. That's just how Justin Gaethje operates. And I think that uh, with... Ferguson now having a little bit more time to prepare for that sort of a fight can only help him. Now, as for Gaethje, Ferguson's also very difficult to prepare for, but I think that Gaethje is going to just... He's going to implement his game. I don't think that he's worried too much about Tony Ferguson's game. Because I think that if this is a stand-up fight through and through, Gaethje can just do what he does, and I think Ferguson will, will take the bait and will, will try to match that. I don't think Ferguson will be shooting for takedowns. I think Ferguson's going to try to beat him on the feet. And I think Gaethje, if he's in that sort of a fight, you know, he, he knows what that's like. He's been doing it since he's come to the UFC. But uh, in his most recent outings, he's been a lot more methodical. His timing's been better. He's been really baiting his opponents into traps, and he's done a good job of that. But, you know, whether Tony Ferguson and his high fight IQ will be um, party to that and will will fall for those traps, we will see. But Justin Gaethje has shown how high level he is in the last three fights, and uh, I can't wait for this one. I think that this is – if you're going to if you're gonna bet on Ferguson versus Habib eventually happening and you have to have Ferguson fight somebody, this isn't a safe bet by any means that you're going to get Habib versus Ferguson – but I think that if Ferguson beats Gaethje, you've now made Habib versus Ferguson even bigger. Ferguson will be the interim champion again. He'll have beaten one of the top guys. Because if you look at his resume, Ferguson hasn't doesn't have the best resume in terms of the, the names of who he's beaten. If you go up and down the list, I mean, you've got Kevin Lee. You've got Donald Cerrone. You don't really have anybody that's a top five. I mean, I think Cerrone's ranked number five right now, but I don't know how justified that is. But you don't really have him beating a top five lightweight. Whereas if you look at Habib, he's got a win over Connor. He's got a win over uh, Dustin Poirier. And if you look at Poirier, he's got a win over Gaethje. And he's got a win over Max Holloway, who 
if he was still lightweight, might might be considered top five lightweight. So you have a lot of different wins throughout the top five. I mean, Connor's beaten Poirier, but I don't know if you want to hold that against Dustin Poirier. That was a featherweight fight years and years ago. But uh, Ferguson does not have a win over a top five opponent. I think a win over a Justin Gaethje, a fighter of the caliber of a Justin Gaethje, especially, if, I mean, however this fight ends, it's going to end in spectacular fashion. I mean, that, that's just how Gaethje's fights end. They, they typically don't go the distance, although I, I, I am of the belief that this one could. But uh, typically they don't go the distance. Typically they're just all-out wars. And if Ferguson can win that kind of a fight, it'll elevate him. But there's also the risk in fighting Gaethje, period. Like, when Gaethje beats people, they're often not the same fighter in the future. Now, one example you can point to is Barboza. Because I believe Barboza... Was Barboza... Barboza's fighting against Hooker before or after? Maybe that was before Gaethje, actually. I'm going to have to look into that. But typically when Gaethje beats people, they... You know, it it changes them. It it changes their trajectory. It makes you know once you go through that experience, you're not the same fighter. Look at Eddie Alvarez, lost to Nashukin in one championship. You look at Poirier. I mean, he was able to beat Max Holloway after beating uh, Gaethje, but then he lost to Khabib. Now, I don't think there was you can say that there was much of a drop off in Poirier's game. Michael Johnson has not been the same fighter since he lost to Gaethje, and that that's pretty clear. Um, Cowboy lost to Conor McGregor in seconds after that Gaethje loss. James Vick has not won since the Gaethje loss. And look at where James Vick's career was at when he fought Justin Gaethje. You know, Gaethje is just somebody who can change a career. And at Tony Ferguson's age of 36, him doing this ridiculous extra weight cut, I don't know if it's... You know, a fight that makes much sense if you think that Ferguson versus Khabib is going to be the fight that you, you make it out to be. Because it can still be a different fight now. If, if he fights Gaethje tooth and nail, ends up winning, but takes a lot of damage in that fight. I would rather see Tony Ferguson before he fights Gaethje fight Khabib rather than Tony Ferguson after he fights Gaethje facing Khabib. I just think it's going to be a, that his... You know, your career is limited after you fight Justin Gaethje. That's just kind of how it's been. That's that's how evidence has, you know, what evidence has shown in the past. Now, um, we did see that the card has also changed in the sense that uh, Amanda Nunes told Brian Campbell of CBS Sports this week that she's not going to be fighting on May 9th. She doesn't feel that these are the proper conditions for training. And uh, she wants to fight maybe in June against Felicia Spencer. Now, this is, I think this reason is similar to why Habib wasn't working so hard to get back to the U.S. for that fight against Ferguson should it have happened on April the 18th. I, I don't think that this is the right circumstance for champions to be fighting. I really don't. I think that uh, they are smart enough to know that the reward that you reap for being a champion is much higher than being a challenger. You get a lot more Reebok money. You get a lot more pay. You get uh, more sponsorship opportunities outside of the UFC when you're uh, when you're doing ads and whatnot. You're risking a lot by taking a fight in suboptimal circumstances and conditions. And uh, I I don't blame any champion that steps away and says, "Listen, I'm not going to fight until this pandemic is over and until I can get proper training." I don't. It's not worth the risk. 
Now, Tony Ferguson, his his training doesn't change all that much, I would imagine, with this pandemic. He, he trains where he lives. I'm sure he has a very small circle, and he's probably able to train in, in the same way. Whereas Gaethje right now, you know, he's going into Elevation Top Team. He's sparring with Drew Dober, who we'll talk uh, to a little bit later in the show. It looked like he did a sparring session with Kamaru Usman, among others, recently. So I think that uh, Justin Gaethje is still getting some training. Not the best training that he could possibly get, but still getting good training. Drew Dober his, is, I believe, normally his his guy that he trains with for the most part during these camps. He trains with with Neil Magny sometimes, and I think Magny is going to give him a good good sense of range when you're fighting a guy like Tony Ferguson. So we're seeing a lot of different uh, circumstances, though, that that are just not conducive to, to training at your absolute best, at your, your peak performance. And when you look at someone like uh, a Khabib Nurmagomedov, someone like an Amanda Nunes, like these are two of the top pound-for-pound pound fighters of all time. I, Nunes is the under, you know the undisputed female goat. I'd say you know I, I don't think anybody's going to make an argument that there's a better female fighter in in the history of the sport. And Khabib Nurmagomedov, a lot of people can make the case as the greatest lightweight of all time, and uh, also among the greatest fighters of all time, undefeated, has lost one round officially in the UFC on a, on a judge's scorecard. As dominant a fighter as you'll ever see. But these are just not optimal training circumstances. And, and you, know, you just can't train properly in this situation. And if you're a champion, why put your belt on the line, your legacy on the line, uh, you know, in, in this climate, it just doesn't make sense. So Amanda Nunes has pulled out, and I, I can't blame her, even an iota, for pulling out under these circumstances. In fact, I couldn't blame any fighter that pulled out under these circumstances. You know, everybody wants to look uh, as tough as they can. They wanna, they wanna create the appearance that oh, I'm a fighter. I'll fight anybody, any place, any time. But you've got to remember that this is their livelihood. This is their career, and I don't think anybody can blame a fighter for not taking a fight under, you know, in, in this situation. Even if Khabib had said, listen, I'm just not taking this fight, you know, instead of people saying, oh, he's scared, he's in Russia, blah, blah, blah. If he came out and said, I'm not going to fight like this, this isn't this isn't the right way to be facing a guy as dangerous as Tony Ferguson. Like, are people going to say that he ducked him? Like, are you going to rip him under those circumstances? If you if you are, I mean, you should probably take a long look in the mirror because that you got you got some, some uh, self-assessment to do. If you think that these people are less than tough, everybody expects these people to be tough, but not smart. Like let them let them pull out of fights. If you you're not, if they're not going to get the best training in the world, if they're not going to be able to properly prepare for a contest. Why would you make them fight under those circumstances? Like why why would you want to see them not at their best? Like we want to see these people perform at their best, do we not? And if we don't, I mean, if if you if you think, oh, well, they should fight no matter what, well, I, I don't know if I would agree with that, and I, I don't think that that's a rational way of thinking. I think you have to look at what's in front of you. I mean, how many hours are you leaving your house a day? One? Half hour sometimes? I mean, these people are expected to train in the same way as they normally would, or even close to that, under these circumstances. Police officers are showing up at gyms and telling people that there's too many people in a room. I went for a walk today 
with my uh, with my family. There was a police officer driving up and down the path. Like we have like a nature path near our house, there's a pol- which normally doesn't have any cars on it. We have there's a police car driving just to make sure that everybody's following the rules. I I don't think it's I don't think it's wrong. I think that the police should be monitoring this uh, to make sure that we do the best we can and that we aren't violating the government mandate. But you know we can barely be ex- expected to go for a walk in in this climate without oversight let alone go to a gym for hours a day and grapple with people and do full contact training so amanda nunes pulling out to me is not a big deal and is something that everybody should understand take a step back think about it and just understand it all right so we also have some great fights on the card. Jeremy Jeremy Stevens versus Calvin Cater in particular, I think, is a great a great fight. And uh, we we saw that the Bellator has canceled another of their events, but uh, the PFL have canceled their entire season this year. There will be no PFL tournament in 2020. Now, does that mean they're not going to do any events? I don't know, but they, they will not be doing the the million dollar tournaments in 2020. And I just think that they have to do that for survival. Like I think that in order to survive right now, they can't have empty venue events with a million dollars on the line in each weight in each weight class you're just you're undercutting yourself and um i just think and and the amount of the frequency that people are expected to participate in these events is also not conducive to the the climate we have right now so um i think that the pfl made the right move and i think that them giving stipends to their fighters that are that are still under contract is a good move so uh Kudos to them, and I think that uh, while it must be difficult for some of these fighters, like look at Rory McDonald, he just signed on to the PFL, and uh, now he's not going to fight this year. Like you have a year, a year of inactivity for Rory. It's going to be almost two years of inactivity by the time he gets back in there, unless they are able to get him a fight this year that is not in the tournament format, which is a possibility. But um, yeah, so the PFL. I've decided not to hold their tournament this year. Um, and the UFC going forward, I think, is their decision. And I, I think that other promotions shouldn't be saying, oh, well, they're being irresponsible. I mean, if they are taking the right precautions, you know, they, they still want to operate their business. You know, if you're not willing to take those same precautions in your promotion or you can't afford to take those precautions, you know, it's hard to argue against what they're doing. Um, if you're not able to do the same, if you're not able to provide the the same caliber of treatment and 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 um, medical assistance as possible. Now, if they're looking to hold this event in Florida, according to MMAFighting.com's um, Mike Heck, that's where this event is expected to take place on May 9th, is in the state of Florida. That I'm not too certain about. I mean, I know that the WWE's been doing it. But uh, the coronavirus in Florida, I feel like it's not going to get better before it gets worse. I feel like there's still a long way to go in that state. Whereas if you look at Nevada, and they they might be able to hold subsequent events in Nevada, depending on what they they decide as of April 30th. But Nevada is on the low end of cases in the U.S. in terms of state by state. They're in the, the lower half of uh, of cases. So... I think that you could safely do an event at the apex, at least more safely than going to the state of Florida and doing it there. 
Now, I don't know where they're doing it in the state of Florida. Maybe they're doing it in a region that's very spread apart where, where there are very few cases. Who knows? But um, I, I'll be interested to see exactly how this ends up playing out in terms of where it is, where in Florida, what kind of facility. Is it going to be a gym? Is it going to be a um, an, an empty arena? Who knows? It's hard to tell at this point in time. All right, so we've got three great guests uh, for this week. You may have already watched these interviews if you're on uh, TSN's YouTube page. They've been they've been put up there. It's uh, Joanna Janjacek, Drew Dober, and Charles Rosa. I got time with all of them, and uh, here they are. Here are some interviews with those athletes, and uh, I appreciate you tuning in. I'm joined TSN now by the strawway queen, Joanna Janjacek. <laughs> Dzień dobry, jak się masz? Dzień dobry, dzień dobry, mam się bardzo dobrze. Hello guys, I, I'm good, I'm good, thank you so much. You're, you're, you're improving your Polish, so that's good, I'm very happy. I'm working hard, I have some Polish ancestry, so I owe it to them to, uh, to yeah. figure it all out. Uh, that's nice, that's nice. How are you keeping in Poland, everything's going okay? Uh, yeah, it's everything is is fine, uh, all good. Uh, we're trying to keep the social distancing as much as we can. I'm very proud of uh, the people of government, of Polish people and the government, because uh, they made the right decisions in the right time. You know, people are getting sick every day, people dying every day, but but uh, it's getting better. You know, so uh, yeah, we really the, the government is is strict. Uh, they changing rules every. Every few days, they 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 bring new rules, uh, but people follow the rules. That's good, you know. We can stay healthy, and and protect ourselves, our families, and each other. It seems things are going well there. I saw that uh, from Sunday yeah. to Monday, the cases yeah. dropped almost by yeah. half. Yeah, yeah, it, it's really good, you know. People are very strict, you know. Since since I got back from the states, I was wearing masks, but since uh, I think last Thursday. Uh, you're not allowed to go out without a mask. So, uh, but I was doing this for last five weeks. But that's good. That's good, you know. So, how have you handled it in terms of your life? I know you like to travel a lot. <laughs> you like to go out and take pictures, yeah. ride your bike. How uh, have you changed for you? Yeah, you know what? I honestly, like 23 hours a day, I stay home. If I go out, I go for a walk or for short cardio run. Or today, I did a laurel roller blades. Uh, roller blading and you know <laughs> last week was hard I had really rough three days and I thought that I was going to hit the wall uh, like physically not only mentally but it's not bad it's not bad you know I have to stay strong it's good I have time for myself but of course I can go out I can see my all of my friends uh, hang out with my family uh, after such a hard camp and and and, and a, a real war, I want to go on vacation. So I cannot cannot wait uh, till everything will be will be good and we're gonna get clear to t- travel. You know. So when you say you had a rough three days, was it just a, a tough stress yeah. for you mentally? You were just uh, feeling down. Yeah, mentally, you know, I, I'm trying to every day. I'm trying to lift people up on my social on my social media talk to them and like bring bring them hope and uh, but i hit the wall you know and i i thought i was going to give up i didn't want to get up uh, of my bed uh, i didn't want to work out i didn't want to like eat healthy you know and i was like no then i felt even worse and worse so i was like no the healthy lifestyle is the is the key you know keep your mind strong uh, meditate uh, work out every day eat healthy that's a good thing you know 
So we haven't spoken since your incredible fight against Zhang Wei Li. Uh, it, it was a month and a half ago. It feels like it was a year and a half ago with the, all of this quarantine. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I wanted to ask you about right after the fight. Obviously, your adrenaline eventually goes down. When does it hit you that the fight's over and you, you kind of come down a little bit? Oh, actually, in the hotel room? or <laughs> I don't know. Honestly, I don't know. Maybe in the locker room, but I didn't. I didn't have time to to go to my locker room after the fight, so I, I went straight to the hospital. But when, probably when you get to the hotel room, when you see your family or friends, when you get to bed, you realize it's all over, you know. <laughs> yeah. So it takes that long for the adrenaline to come down. So how are you processing it? Things. I mean, obviously the decisions oh. read. You're probably still in that moment, but as you're yeah. walking out into the tunnel, like what's what's going through your mind? You know, honestly, honestly, I don't sleep three, three nights, three days, three nights after the fight, you know, and it, it always uh, take a while, you know, because we prepared for so many weeks uh, before the fight and in one night it's all over, you know, you have to change your lifestyle, you, 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 you allowed to like travel, eat crazy stuff. And, and do crazy stuff, you know, so, because camp is a camp, you know, hard work, but uh, I don't know, I don't know, I, I don't remember what was in my mind when I was walking under the tunnel after the fight, I, I don't remember this moment, you know, I was very proud of myself, I remember that I wanted to take care of my body, I wanted to check if uh, there was no damage on my brain, uh, if I, if, if my body was good, you know, yeah. So from recent interviews I've seen with you, you still haven't watched the fight back. So what's your recollection yeah. of the fight? Like, what do you remember from it? Because a lot of fighters, when they're in there, they're in the moment and you, you kind of, your, your brain kind of shuts off and you, you enter yeah. cruise control. So what's your recollection of that night? Uh, I don't know. I, I was like, I was hard on myself. And I was like, do more, do more, do more. And, and every round was a war, you know, and every, every, every minute, every, every second of the fight was, was a war. And I, I, I gave my best. Every second of second, uh, every second of the, uh, this fight with Willy Zhang, I, I gave my best. I did my best, and and that's the thing, you know. I was like, what can you do better? And I was like, but I'm doing everything I can, you know. And I did, I did, I just did, I I, I did my best. I'm proud of myself, of, of my team, how we prepared, how we put on show. I didn't get the win, and uh, somehow I'm 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 broken. I'm sad. Uh, I didn't get where I wanted to be but I'm happy and proud of myself in the same time. Well, the next best thing you can do if you don't get a win in that kind of situation, the championship level, is to create an economy where people want to see you fight for the title again. And you did that. Everybody wants to see this rematch now. <laughs> um, is that something that, yeah. that you're looking forward to that you think is the next step in, in the division? I feel like I don't have to, like, even before the, uh, that fight, I didn't have to prove anything to people, you know. My legacy is so strong. And, of course, there are people who are saying, like, oh, but you lost, like, few fights. Like, of course, but uh, but my legacy is so strong. And I didn't have to prove to people that I was the, the right person to fight for the bed. And, and even after losing the fight with that champ, I don't have to prove it again. I don't have to do two, three four more fights to, to be the challenger, you know, if uh, UFC, Dana White, the matchmakers gonna decide that I'm the next challenger, I will, I will go and fight, you know, and like, what a reason to fight with like, top eight, top five, like, number five or number eight uh, ranked girl, there is no reason, you know, because uh, I proved that uh, I'm at the top, 
I'm at the top. I'm on the championship level. And there is not so many of us on the level like this. You mentioned your legacy, and uh, and obviously that means the world to you. Should you not win the belt again, are you able to rest easy anyways? Like, Are you are you happy with your legacy as it is right now, or do you, do you have a need to win the belt one more time to show that you're still at the top? <laughs> I, I don't have to, you know. I, I feel that I show it already, you know. Uh, I showed that in my last fight, you know, and... I wanna win the belt. It's my big dream. I wanna, I wanna, I wanna have this belt again. But I felt like, I don't know. Even without the belt, I, I feel like, I feel like I curb myself as a champ. That I don't know. I don't know what. I don't know what to say. You know. I feel like I don't have to. In the same time, I wanna, but like I don't have to prove anything to people. You know. And if I will wanna, like, if I gonna wake up and and have an idea to fight for the belt, I will do that, you know. So at this point, it's just a desire to prove it to yourself. Like, what, what other yeah. people say doesn't matter at this point. <laughs> but then I'm like, why? You have like six belts uh, at home uh, from back in the day. Why do you need this belt to have this belt physically, you know? I'm, I'm like, really, like, it's hard. I, I'm not proud of myself. Uh, not very often, you know, but I'm, I'm very proud of myself. Uh, uh, of the performance I put on the March March the seventh in Vegas, you know, I'm very hard on myself. I'm very hard on myself, but I'm very proud. So how hard is it to to rationalize that? I mean, you say you have the six belts at home. You know that you don't need them any anymore, but you have to you have to keep that fuel going. So how hard is it to keep yeah. that desire to keep to keep going back to the gym day in and day out? Say I need this. I need to have the championship belt back for myself. I'm a competitor, you know, and I, lo I love to challenge myself every single day uh, in a business, uh, in my regular life or in the sports life, you know. So I like to challenge myself and definitely fighting the best people in the world. It's, it's my it, it, it's my challenge, you know, so so I stay motivated. I stay very focused. I stay very disciplined, you know, every single day. You say you're at home now 23 hours a day, um, obviously because of the, the coronavirus and, and all the uh, yeah. different government restrictions. How has that changed you? Have, you know, when, now you have a lot more time to think. You're not in the gym as much, you're not in the moment, <laughs> but you have a lot of time to yourself, and, and that's important. A lot of people are talking about how that's helped them and helped uh, put things into perspective for them. Have you, have you gained any sort of different perspective from that? I, I'm trying to be busy, you know, like uh, I, cook, I cook for my sisters, I go, I train. Uh, I'm back to learning Spanish. Uh, I started le learning how to play piano. Uh, I talk to my friends. Uh, I do lots of, uh, lots of. I did some mental coaching for kids uh, for Marching Gortat Foundation, NBA, one of the former NBA uh, players. Uh, so I, I keep on busy, you know. Honestly, I keep on busy, you know. The time flies so fast, so I keep on busy. I never get uh, bored, and I, I, I keep on busy, but. You know, like if I look deep in, into my soul, I feel like I feel like, you know, I, I somehow I want to change the world, but I want to keep on doing what I've been doing for last last years, you know, last years. So, yeah. When you look at the division, it's yourself. It's obviously the champ, uh, Jean Vili, it's Rose, it's Jessica Andrade. Do you see anybody else in that mix? Is Tatiana Suarez someone that you think is, is in that title conversation? Because it seems like there are only really four standout uh, competitors right now that are in the title mix. Yeah, that's the, that's the thing. There's so many. Like, I, feel, I feel like 
Philan, I know that all of the UFC athletes are amazing, you know. Uh, UFC fighters are, are an amazing athlete. And, but uh, there is always a top five, you know, that really matter. And and I feel like it's Willie Zhang, it's me, it's Rose, it's Jessica, Andreas, and it's it's Tatiana Suarez, five of us, you know, like super top-level girls. Is it cool to see that the division's grown so much since it started? I mean, when you when you got there and, and the division started, you were really at the very top, and and nobody could touch you. Yeah. And now it's gotten so much more competitive. Everybody's had to train yeah. to beat you. I mean, that's what everybody's eyes were on were you and and coming up with a strategy to defeat you. Um, yeah. So, how, how are you proud of how the division's grown in that sense? Yes, I'm. I'm, I'm very proud. Uh where we got, you know, the strawweight division is the lightest division in the UFC, but definitely we put on fire, you know, we bring fireworks uh, to the to the fight, you know, in the fight. So that's a, that's a good thing. And I'm very happy to see uh, us women taking over the UFC events, you know, I'm very proud of us. Ronda started and I was trying to continue that. There's so many girls who are putting on a hell of a fight, you know, that, that's, that's good. That's good. So from your last fight, obviously there was a lot of swelling and, and uh, you mentioned there was some concern about a head injury when you went to the hospital. Yeah. Every day when you looked in the mirror and your appearance was changing and changing and changing, uh, how did you feel about it when you, when you were seeing this? <laughs> I was happy because uh, first three, four, five days, I was not myself, you know. I looked like the other person, every day different person, you know. So it was kind of painful, you know. <laughs> and and it, was, it, was, it was good to... Mm, see my my face getting back to normal, you know, every single day. But it took a while. It took a while, but the swellness from the forehead went down. The next day, I couldn't see on my eyes uh, for two two days. But it was good. It was good, you know. That's the price we have to pay for the for the for the for the fight, you know. Afterwards, you went with your family, and I guess you guys went, I don't know if it was Universal Studios or something, and your, your nephew was with you. I don't know how old he is, but was he making any comments about how you looked? Because obviously he's not uh, using his aunt that way. Yeah, we, 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 we went to, we spent three days in Vegas, and then we went to LA, and we got back home week after the fight, but the, he was scared, you know. My father was scared, my sister was scared, she was helping me uh, shower, change after, after the fight. Uh, my friend was there, so you know I had totally different plan. I, I I planned to go out, hang out with my friends, my family, you know, get some drink, go and dance, but it was impossible. So my 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 family they got scared that that something would happen to me, could happen to me, you know. But but it was only swellness. It was only a big bruise on my on my on my face, and yeah, thanks God nothing happened. Nothing serious happened to my body. To my brain. Do they say anything to you? Like, why do you have to keep doing this? I mean, you're you're already the best of all time in the division. Do they, of course. Do they try to talk to you? Every every fight, every fight, my family they are like, it's going to be the last one. And after every fight, like, was it the last one? You know, and I'm like, oh, right now I don't want to hear and think about fighting. But I'm back to training, you know, as much as I can. And I don't know, I don't know, you know, I'm a real warrior. And after putting on fight. Like like the one in Vegas, I wanna keep on, keep on, uh, keep on working hard and fighting, you know. But it's hard to say goodbye, you know. But I don't wanna retire it. And 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 the last fight just just 
show me that, you know, I'm still at the top and I should keep on doing this. All right. And, um, and finally, uh, how long of a time do you want to take off before you, you, your next fight? Have you thought about that at all? I don't know. I want to enjoy my life. You know me that I love to do so many different things outside the octagon. And right now I cannot uh, do my sponsorship obligations. I cannot travel. So definitely after everything will be, will be, will be, will be done uh, with the uh, coronavirus. I want to travel. I want to go on vacation and I want to, I want to enjoy my life. And I don't know. I don't know. Honestly, I don't know. I don't have uh, I don't have any idea. Well, I think this interview was good enough that I don't need to ask you about Colby Covington. Do you agree? <laughs> oh yeah, of course. Okay, perfect. Of we'll course. wrap it up then. All right, Joanna, thanks so much for your time. I really appreciate it, and, Thank uh, you so and much. Best, uh, best wishes to you and your family in Poland. I appreciate you. Stay strong, guys. And I know it's hard. Uh, it's very hard for all of us, but uh, let let's let's live up each other every single day, you know, and let, let's motivate each other every single day. Uh, there are good days coming, you know, I promise to you. So thank you so much for everything. Bye. And I'm joined now by Drew Dober coming off of a huge win against Nazrat Hakparast. Uh, Drew, you're scheduled to fight, I guess, is May the 2nd. What's the situation with that like right now? Is that looking to, to happen or is that still uh, up in the air? Uh, I mean, to be honest, it's up in the air, but a lot of things are up in the air at this point. Um, yeah, I was scheduled to fight Diego on uh, May 2nd, but obviously everything was postponed. Um, so as of right now, um, they're looking to get that May 9th card going. And then uh, from what I heard, it's uh, every weekend after May 9th, they're going to have events for um, you know Americans. So I'm hoping to get on one of those cards in some weekend in May. Um, but as far as opponent and location goes, I have no idea. Yeah, so I guess you have to kind of stay ready as if you could be fighting as soon as May 9th, I would imagine. Sorry about that. I no like to there you are. No problem. Did you hear that question? Uh, no, I missed it. I apologize. Okay, no problem. We can pick it up. So you don't really know when you're going to be fighting, but you kind of have to stay ready, assuming that they're going to reschedule you on a quick turnaround. Dana White came out and said that those who were on postponed cards are going to, I guess, get first dibs. Right, right. You got you to gotta stay ready. Um, UFC did state that, uh, you know, if you're worried about the whole virus situation or if you don't feel like you're adequately prepared, you don't have to fight. But I'm ready to go. I've been preparing for May 2nd. Um, so May 9th, May 16th, whenever they want, you know, I'm, I, I want to be able to compete. I want to step in a cage. It doesn't matter where. It doesn't matter who. It doesn't matter when. Um, I'm just so eager to get back to doing what I love doing. Yeah, and you guys have a great camp out there. Uh, team Elevation is awesome. I, some of the biggest coaches uh, in the game. <laughs> if you look based on sheer size, you got Cody Donovan, you got Elliot Marshall, you got Vinny Lopez. So big bodies in there, but those guys are very, very sharp tacticians. How are you training with them right now with, at the present, given all the different restrictions in place? Um, I mean, right now they're um, they're opening up um, like uh, secluded training sessions for fighters with potential fights coming up. So like Justin Gaethje and I, um, you know, Neil Magny, who's, you know, can easily take a short notice fight as well. So the gyms are opening up and we're trying to keep uh, the space or the, the numbers below 10, you know, kind of following all the recommended requirements. But um, yeah, we're training every single day, possibly twice a day um, with reason. Um, and we're, we're pushing each other, you know, Justin Gaethje and I have been going pretty much five rounds, two to three times a week, every week, all in May, April. 
I was going to say, you, you're probably his uh, top training partner based on, on size, but I'm sure that Neil Magny and his range is coming in pretty handy for him as well. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, we had a, a bunch of uh, teammates uh, not in the UFC that are, uh, are quality, you know, giving us different looks, uh, uh, different skill levels, all sorts of things, because at this point, you don't know who you're fighting. So you got to prepare for everyone. Yeah, things can just change on a dime. So you and your team are obviously very comfortable with the situation. Justin Gaethje doesn't typically like taking short-notice fights. I spoke to him last year in July, and he was offered that Ferguson fight that Cowboy ended up getting on, like, four weeks' notice. Wasn't comfortable taking it. Circumstances are a bit different this time with an interim title, but what was his mentality like when he was, uh, I guess, given this opportunity? Uh, well, I'm grateful in the fact that uh, so Gaethje was coming in and helping me prepare for my May 2nd bout. And so he was coming in, and we were, we were training hard, and we are getting after it. So when he did get the uh, the short notice offer, uh, he was already in the gym preparing. So it was just, it, the attention just went from me to then also sharing the spotlight with Gaethje. So, yeah, he's ready to go. I imagine that Fajeja is your most likely opponent, uh, given that it seems like he's ready. A lot of the guys at Fortis are still training uh, in a similar way that you guys are. Um, so with Diego, he's on a roll. You're on a roll. This is a very, very difficult matchup given how good that guy is. But, I mean, you're no slouch yourself. How have you been preparing for him in specific? Uh, I mean, noticing his strengths, uh, you know, his fight with Anthony Pettis. Uh, Jiu-Jitsu is fantastic, his pressure. Um, and uh, he's, he's very talented in, like, the chaos, like the, the scrambles and whatnot. Um, and then so I'm just acknowledging what he's uh, strong at. Uh, so that way I can just prepare for 15 minutes of making him uncomfortable, you know, putting him in the positions and the situations that he doesn't like and keeping him there. Um, you know, I feel <clears throat> Dustin Poirier and Benil showed kind of like the game plan of how to beat him. And uh, y'all yeah, try to repeat that process. I think that the thing about uh, Diego that I like is that he didn't need to accept this fight. I mean, he, he just fought Pettis, who's a, a big name. And a lot of these guys that have rankings beside their names or, or, or getting into that situation are, off, are often hesitant to take a fight unless it's against like a, a highly ranked individual. So kudos to him on that and kudos to you. I mean, I think that you're in a, a situation where you should be facing ranked fighters. Oh, no, I agree. Like, I was actually uh, pretty surprised that he accepted that, that fight. And so it just shows his... Um his mentality and his, his gamer attitude and his, uh, you know, willingness to fight anyone. So I, I really like that about Diego. I mean, he's, he's a true martial artist and a, a, a talented competitor, and I can't wait. After you beat um, Hack Press, you said something about uh, that you had sensed some anxiety in him. How do you get that feeling when you're, you're with an opponent? Um, I've been practicing a lot for the last couple of years of being in the moment and, you know, never letting my mind, you know, stray too far away from what's happening right here, right now. And what that has helped me do is uh, kind of just notice some small things in the moment, whether it's harsh breathing or eye contact or body language. So that way I can, in the fight and even surrounding the fight, I can kind of get a, a vibe or like a mood on like what's going on. And, um, you know, just a uh, fight week and even leading up to the actual fight, uh, you know, Hackbrass was a, he's an amazing, talented fighter and a really great guy. But I did notice a sense of urgency and that sense of urgency, you know, to me is like, you know, yeah, you got to take your time in the sport. You can't really just try to rush things. So are things kind of moving for you in slow motion when you're in there at this state? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, with practice, you know, it, it, it hasn't always been like this, but with uh, practicing and being in the moment and being aware of just where you're at right now, um, yeah, you just become very aware of what's going on and things do move in slow motion, yes. 
That's difficult to do, though, because to have the awareness to, to notice a little nuance with him, like something as little as a, a little characteristic while you're trying to focus also on beating the guy, I mean, that takes a lot of mental energy. So that's a, a, a very big uh, compliment to you, obviously, that you're able to do that. But it just took years of training for you to be able to, to notice these little things. Right, right. Uh, you know, I feel like uh, people make the mistake in trying to practice it when it's necessary, where I found that you just got to practice it every single day, which is incredibly hard. You know, your mind always wanders. But in my training situations, when I'm uncomfortable, even when I'm comfortable, you know, or sitting at home, you know, just trying to be in that moment, not think about yesterday or try to think too far ahead of, of tomorrow and, and future days, especially in this situation with the quarantine and not knowing what's going on. You got to treat every day, you know, just accordingly. So on Monday, I got these training practices. I have these uh, things to do. And, um, you know, until further further notice, this is the only thing I can focus on on Monday. And so it, it kind of helps, you know, whether you're at home, at the gym, fight week, and then eventually in the fight, just being aware of your current situation and not like letting it wander. You got to practice it 24-7. Obviously, yourself and Justin Gates, you're confident that he's going to be able to beat Ferguson. But, uh, you know, obviously there's the, you know, you have to know that there's a good shot that he could lose that fight as well. But knowing that that fight is April 18th versus May the 9th, how much more of a chance does it give Gaethje to win this fight? Like, how much will that extra practice help him, given that Ferguson's had this long full camp? Um, I think it helps uh, Justin Gaethje prepare for a five-rounder because uh, he was ready for a three-rounder uh, for sure, you know, for April 18th. Um, but also gives Tony Ferguson time to prepare for, uh, time to prepare as well. He was getting ready to fight Khabib, which is a strong wrestler, and uh, Gaethje's a heavy puncher. So a uh, short-notice fight actually was going to work in uh, Justin's benefit. So now since, uh, you know, they have a little bit more time to prepare for each other, I think it just it makes the fight a little bit more interesting, I believe. Will you be making weight on May the 1st since you were supposed to fight on May the 2nd? Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm, not, I'm not a huge fan of touching 155, you know, just randomly. Um, and I think that's kind of the hardest part with things going on, right, is uh, I don't know what weekend uh, I'm fighting and uh, peak performance is not sustainable indefinitely. So it's like I'm trying to uh, determine how many calories to eat every single day, whether to push, when to like when to recover, and I'm trying to gather as much information as possible so that way when the time comes I do step in the cage, I'm at my peak performance. And uh, yeah, it's getting pretty difficult. Yeah, that was mostly a, a reference to what Tony Ferguson did on uh, on Friday, cutting weight oh, for no reason. I know. I know. I'm watching <laughs> it going why would you do that? But Tony Ferguson, I mean, he's doing backflips off like yoga balls and stuff like that. So he doesn't do things uh, that most people find intelligent, but uh, it works for him. So let him do it. Yeah, it's a lot of people saying you got to understand the fighter's mentality when you see someone do that. I go, no, 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 it's not the fighter's mentality. It's just Tony Ferguson's mentality. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he's elbowing steel poles. So making 155 is, uh, is uh, <laughs> within reach of his mentality. So when you're going 25 minutes with Gaethje, how much does that help your cardio, having to deal with basically constant pressure for 25 minutes day in and day out? You know, I, I wouldn't say cardio is tested. I think um, just mental fortitude and uh, uh, body conditioning is is tested. Uh, he's a great training partner, so, you know, we don't intentionally hurt each other. But, uh, yeah, it gets super, super tough. So 25 minutes in, in, in a cage with Gaethje, like your body hurts. <laughs> so it's just, uh, just he, he's testing that, 
that willingness to move forward. You know, he's putting that pressure on, he's hurting you and either you take a knee or quit or you keep going. I recently did a show with Dan Tom, who works at MMA Junkie. We did a, a podcast where we talked about the five worst stoppages in MMA history. What do you think my number one was? Oh, God. Are you talking about the, the Brazilian one that I had? That would be it. Number one on my list of all-time <laughs> worst stoppages. Do you ever go back and watch that and, and wonder what that referee was? I mean, like, not only was the choke not in, he was in, you were in half, I think he was in half guard, pretty much, where it's, it's really difficult to get that kind of a tap. You gave the thumbs up, if I'm not mistaken, and your head had just slipped out. Like, do you ever yeah. go back and watch that and think, what was this guy thinking? Uh, I mean, I feel like I know what he's thinking. Because uh, I feel like there was a couple um, – he was refing multiple fights that night, and there was a fight uh, before ours where he – the guy went to sleep, you know, in a guillotine choke. So I felt like going into my fight, the ref was just oversensitive to not allowing another fighter to go to sleep. But – I mean, even then, like, it doesn't justify his, his poor decision. But, uh, you know, it is what it is. It's in the past now, so I can't really overthink it, but, uh, think too much about it. It's still fun to watch because it's an interesting uh, scenario. But, um, yeah, I don't think about what the, you know, what the re- referee was thinking. I mean, it's not a loss. It was overturned. So, I mean, I, I don't think you can think too badly on it. Of course, that is a, a win that was robbed from you because had that fight continued to go, who knows what would have happened. But there's always the potential that you would have won that fight. Agreed, agreed. You know, when uh, the, uh, a win in the win column is taken away from you, it's, it's very upsetting. God, I just go back and watch it. And I, I, I just I, I look at the positioning and I just think to myself, like, I just don't know how you can make that kind of mistake. Because Eduardo Hurdy's not some boxing guy. Like, he's, he's a high-level jiu-jitsu practitioner. Oh, I know, I know. Yeah, I think the disheartening thing is, like, it wasn't just, like, that 10 minutes taken away from me. It's uh, the eight weeks and the weight cut, and it's all that preparation, and, you know, and just not being able to see it fully was a huge disappointment. Well, it's hard as well with a lot of these fights that are being postponed, especially with the ones in London, where you see, like, Ashley Evans-Smith travels to London, and I just, I feel so, I know that postponing the event's probably the right thing to do from, like, a societal standpoint, but I feel so bad for the amount of work that nobody sees, the work that goes into these kind of fights, the dieting, the, the day-in and day-out training, the taking lumps in the gym, getting injured probably. Most, most fighters go into fights with injuries. It's just it's difficult to know that all of that has happened. And to you know, obviously this global pandemic has derailed a lot of people's lives, but to know the, the amount of work that goes into a camp, which I can't even really fathom because I've never done it, but to know that all of that is kind of dies on the vine is very difficult. It's, it's incredibly difficult, um, but I was actually just talking to some people today just about, I feel like fighters need to be, be should be prepared for all this stuff. You know, at no point in my career has uh, the fight game been certain, like, you know, opponents, fight days, money, like uh, training sessions, like nothing was ever certain. Like fights are always postponed or canceled. Opponents always change. There's injuries. And so the fight game is a very uncertain sport. So I feel like fighters should be prepared for the uncertainty of what's going on uh, today where it's like UFC, you know, we're kind of spoiled. You know, we have set time, set opponents, and UFC works really hard at getting us jobs and, and putting us in the cage. But uh, before the UFC, like local events, I mean, nothing was ever certain. Yeah, it's so much easier said than done, too, because a fighter is so focused on that one opponent, on the one goal of making weight. Like, it's difficult to think about these scenarios because it can throw you off. How, how would you recommend a fighter think about that, especially during fight week, knowing that there's still a degree of uncertainty, even though you see your opponent at the hotel, you just you never know what's going to happen? 
Um, you just got to focus on what you can control. And, uh, you know, in my, in my career, uh, my training, my talent and my performance is the only things I can control in my attitude. So when it comes to people asking me about individual fights, I'm like, I'm not preparing for an individual person. I am constantly focusing on myself. So that way, you know, if my opponent is looking at my past fight, I've already evolved since then. You know, I'm constantly focusing on what I can do to prepare for myself. And, and I'm preparing not for just Diego, but I'm also preparing for like Cerrone, Poirier, and then potentially Khabib. So my training is always reflecting uh, fights that may happen like further in the future. So I wouldn't say I'm too focused on any set date or set opponent. I'm constantly just trying to work on myself and get better as every day goes along. Well, you talk about your attitude, and you've got a great one, sir. Congratulations on a great career so far, and Thank we you. look forward to more success from you. I appreciate it, man. All right, I'm pleased to be joined by Charles Rosa, who's taking on Bryce Mitchell on May the 9th. So originally scheduled for May the 2nd, and uh, it's already been rescheduled. Yeah, man. Uh, I mean, that's what they're telling me, May 9th, so it doesn't matter the date or where, but uh, I'm fighting, and so I'm getting ready for it. Are you going to cut weight on May 1st to a 145 like Tony Ferguson did this past weekend? No, not necessary at all. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm doing it the way, you know. I mean, I'm told May 9th, so I'm sticking with that date. What did you think of that when you saw that Tony cut the 155? <laughs> no, I mean, I mean, it, it's weird because it, he definitely – it sounds crazy, and I know he does crazy stuff all the time, but kind of as a fighter, you think of it. Like, it's just, you know, when you have your mind set – I mean, he's fighting – it's different than most other fighters. He's fighting – he was fighting for a world title and, like, one of the biggest – fights in the history of the ufc like huge fight so like in his head he had that date targeted he's probably been dreaming about that for years so maybe in his head that you know maybe it's a goal that he has but it's definitely super unnecessary i don't think he needs to do it but if that's what uh makes him happy he's the fighter so it's all about keeping the fighter happy and you know keeping his mind sharp i saw that you posted some photos of uh some of the foods you're eating for your diet and they were like uh, scallops and shrimp and, yeah. and red snapper so why why a lot of seafood in your diet yeah, man, that's the best thing for me. I think, you know, I mean, I graduated from culinary school before I ever became a fighter. Um, Johnson and Wales in Providence, Rhode Island. I, I was a, I, I graduated with a degree in culinary arts, so I'm a chef. So I take a lot of pride in my food and cooking, and especially with all this extra time in my hands, I got a little more time to like make videos and do fun things that normally, you know, I wouldn't really have the time to do. But you know, I, I just kind of get interesting with it. But yeah, it's my other passion is food. You know, um, I love cooking and stuff like that. But when you ask why seafood, I think seafood is the best thing to eat. Uh, I go on like a fish diet two weeks before my fight, eat like the cleanest, freshest fish and stuff like that. And uh, I usually have the best performances with it. What benefit does it have in terms of, I mean, everybody's got kind of a different diet and I haven't seen a lot of people with the, I mean, uh, the seafood diet. Yeah. I mean, I think, I mean, if you think like, I think it's the easiest protein to digest and for your body. So like if you eat, there's a lot of fighters will cut out red meat. I think everyone can agree with that. Like most people don't eat red meat like the week before the fight or a couple of days before, cause it's very heavy and it takes a lot for your body to break down. But seafood is like the most natural thing. I think anybody can attest like anytime you eat seafood, like usually, unless you eat bad seafood, but when you eat seafood, your body feels good. You know what I'm saying? Like if you eat nice, fresh piece of fish, like or some scallops or some vegetables, like you're feeling good. Like you're, you're, they, you know, they call it brain food. Like it, it just makes your body feel good. It makes you feel sharp. You can focus mentally. Your, your body digests it well. Um, where it comes to like meats and stuff like that. I mean, I love, you know, cheeseburgers and stuff like that. But the closer to the fight, I think uh, it takes a little bit more energy to, 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 to digest and stuff. How much do you cut over the course of your camp? Um, probably like, I'd say, 
to like the actual fight day. I mean, I do it over time. I mean, you know, I work with a nutritionist. I, I have a degree in nutrition myself from, from culinary school and stuff like that. But, uh, you know, so I, I definitely do it over time. I feel like the best way possible. And then it helps knowing which foods to cook. But I'd say probably 25 pounds I cut down. So, you know, I usually walk around about 170, you know, on Thanksgiving and stuff, get to 175. But, um, you know, I try to keep it under 170. We talked about Tony Ferguson being somewhat strange. Your, uh, your upcoming opponent, Bryce Mitchell, is a bit of a strange cat himself. Uh, but, yeah. but also very scary in terms of his ground game. Uh, he's got a lot of crafty submissions, and he's shown those in his previous fights. Um, what, what do you do to prepare for somebody like that that, that has all of these different uh, tools in their box? Yeah, I mean, I just keep, you know, doing what I'm doing. I think, you know, I'm a black belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu um, under Charles McCarthy, Ricardo Laborio, like, you know, two of the best Jiu-Jitsu guys. I mean, Charles McCarthy is one of the better Jiu-Jitsu guys to fight in the UFC, and Ricardo Laborio is a world-renowned, you know, black belt, one of the best in the game. And uh, really, I mean, dude, I think he has to be more right about my game. I think, I don't think that he has the skills on the ground that I do, but I would love to test it out then, man. I really hope that he tries to take it to the ground. And, uh, you know, we get some good scrambles because, you know, I'm going to come out on top for sure. You had kind of an unorthodox introduction to jiu-jitsu. You walked into a Boston gym. Uh, I think it was a boxing gym, and you encountered jiu-jitsu for the first time. Uh, say it again? I walked in, you walked into, like, I a boxing that. gym, and you encountered jiu-jitsu for the first time when you were young, when you were Yeah, exactly. I, that's crazy because when, when I first went to the gym, I was working as a chef, and I needed another ho- um, hobby. I was a hockey player my entire life, and, you know, there's not really much hockey in Florida, so I went to pick another hobby up. I went into what I thought was a boxing gym. Then my uncle, Tom Rosa, they call him Tom the Bomb Rosa, he had, had over 200, you know, boxing matches. So, like, I always was in love with boxing. Like, I loved watching him, like, when I was a kid, like, growing up. He'd always, like, would teach me a few things or, you know, stuff like that or chase me around the house and stuff. But, uh, you know, I think basically I walked into what I thought was a boxing gym, but it was American Top Team Satellite Gym in Boca Raton. Charles McCarthy was a coach. Cole Miller at the time was a top 10 fighter in the UFC. And, uh... Yeah, I thought it was a boxing gym. I went in, man, and, you know, I trained. And uh, the first day I sparred with Cole Miller was an eye-opening experience. It was pretty cool. But that day, like, a light bulb went off, and I fell in love with it. And then as far as jiu-jitsu goes, like, I thought, you know, I was a tough kid from Boston. I just thought I could whoop everyone's ass. So, like, I went into the first jiu-jitsu class. The following day, like, we're just getting kids in headlocks, like, kind of just bullying people. But um, what actually ended up happening, like, some, like, little guy, like, look like you know a freaking look like guy probably 20 30 pounds less than me got me in a triangle and like i knew i'm like there's no way this guy could beat me in anything like he doesn't look like much of anybody but when i got locked in that triangle and i had to tap out i said you know what man this guy knows something that i don't know so that light bulb went off man and i i was a student of the game since then and i just continued learning and you know eventually long story short i got my black belt i'm fighting in the ufc now and how old were you then? Like, how old were you at that time? How, how long was, did it take you to get was, your black belt? I was 23 years old when I walked into the gym as a white belt. So I was, I never started training until I was 23 years old. I was really new to, you know, I was, I was a tough kid in the streets of Boston, been in a lot of fights, been in a lot of hockey fights, you know, playing, playing hockey in college and in high school. And, you know, since I was a little kid in the, in the Metro leagues in Boston. So I was a, you know, natural born fighter, you know, from, from like street hockey games as I was a kid. But, um, as far as, as far as um, yeah, as far as that, I just I think probably probably a little uh, ten ten years I've been training now. So it took me seven years to get my black belt. Wow, so you're a fast learner. 
yeah, that's that's it. I was one of the faster, pretty much fastest Americans to get the black belt. I think I got it in six or seven years. And, uh, you know, I worked really hard. I trained every single day, sometimes two times a day. You know, I, I trained a lot in the gi and stuff like that. So, I mean, this wasn't something that was given to me. You know, uh, this is something I earned. I competed in, you know, the worlds. I've beaten some of the, you know, top jiu-jitsu guys. I've rolled with the top guys. And, you know, I mean, uh, you know, I earned it. You know, I earned it the way you're supposed to earn it. And I earned it, you know, in the gi. And then, you know, I think I'm even better of a no-gi competitor. Who's, who do you think is the best hockey fighter of all time? Oh, man. There's so many guys. I really like, I don't know who's the best, but I'll tell you who I like the most is Ty Domi. Like, I used to love watching Ty Domi. I think he was on the Leafs, Toronto Maple Leafs back then. And then he was just because he was small. Like, the big guys would really crush each other, you know what I'm saying? But, like, I used to love watching those guys. But uh, it was Ty Domi, and then PJ Stock was on the Bruins for a little bit. He was a, he was a rough and tough guy. But, man, there's so many so many badass uh, hockey fighters that I love, I love watching them. I was just watching a documentary on it the other night. I think I forget what it was called, uh, Ice Warriors or something like that. But you guys can check it out on Netflix. It's pretty cool. It has all the legendary hockey fighters of all time. Yeah, I think I saw that one. It came out a couple of years yeah. ago, right? Oh, I did it. Yeah, I just saw it a couple of weeks ago, but it was pretty sick. So, did you grow up a Bruins fan when you were uh, when you were a hockey fan? Yeah, no doubt, man. I'm a Bruins fan until I die. So that's that's you know I grew up watching them since I was a little kid. You know, we got my first autograph as a little kid from any professional athlete it was from Ray Bork. I remember, like, you know, looking up to him, like, so excited, and him giving me the autograph was something I'll never forget, and uh, it's pretty cool. And you know, I'm, I'm still, uh, you know, I talk to a couple players on the Bruins now, Brad Marchand. You know, I'm, I'm cool with him. You know, hit him up sometimes, and when he has games, if he ever plays in Florida, I usually go check him out. Um, so, you know, it's pretty cool. And then also Jack Eichel on the Buffalo Sabers, I, I, I chat with him a little bit when he comes to Florida. Sometimes I'll link up with him. So, you know, I'm a huge hockey fan also. And, try to stay in touch with some of the players and, you know, check out what their lifestyle's like. Yeah, I think I saw on Instagram your avatar is you in a, in a Bruins uniform with, like, face paint. Is, yeah. that, you, is that you? Yeah, the, yeah, my avatar is me, but, 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 but that's after my first UFC win. So back in the day before the Reebok deal, I was able to walk out in a Boston Bruins jersey um, to the Garden. It was, the, it was my first UFC win. I walked out in the Boston Garden. I got to wear a Boston Bruins jersey with my last name in the back, Rosa. Walked through the tunnel, walked into the cage with it on. You know, got a got a submission win. Got to put it back on after. Did my uh, interview with Joe Rogan in the middle of the cage, rocking a Boston Bruins jersey. So that was like one of the best days and moments of my life is being able to do that. And then after that fight is how I met some of the Bruins players. They were like tweeting me like, "Oh, that was fucking awesome!" Like you know, because I was rocking the Bruins jersey. And they invited me out to a game and uh, you know got to meet them all and stuff like that. So that was a pretty special experience for me because that was like a dream come true. Absolutely, that's that's pretty cool. So, uh, how many yeah. people did you know that were there on that? I guess it's your debut. It's at the Garden. You're from Boston. How many people came to see you? Yeah, man, there was thousands of people there. I mean, I, I a lot of a lot of people came, man. I had so many messages. I still probably can't answer them, but it's uh, it was a pretty special experience. It was on Fox. I think that was when the UFC had the deal with Fox. So it was on Fox, um, live on Fox. But it's crazy. Like kids that I went to, you know, elementary school with, kids I went to high school with, teachers that. Well, my teacher since I was a kid, because I went to college with in Providence, my cousins, I got like 50, 60 cousins, I got them a huge Italian family, so like, man, I had so many people there, you know, friends, family, like everybody, man, was rooting for me, and uh, it was a big, you know, I mean, it was, a, it, was, it was a big night for me, but, you know, I got, you know, I got three wins and they got it now, so, you know, I'd say that's my home game fights. Absolutely, so if you, if you were to guess, May 9th, when you face Bryce Mitchell, where will that be? I know they're keeping it under lock and key, but where do you guess it'll be? 
if I was a betting man, I would say it's going to be in Florida. That's my, that's my guess. I don't know, but um, and then I said second would be Vegas, but I think um, that and then third would be like the Fight Island thing. So that's just my guess from my understanding. But we had a conference call with Dana White yesterday, and they didn't give us um, they didn't give they they didn't give us uh, they didn't tell us the location. And I also got my boat agreement yesterday with no location. So I mean, I signed it anyways, but it's just we don't know where it's at yet. I think they're still working out a little bit of the logistics, but like I said, if I had to guess or had to bet on, I would say Florida. Well, I'm guessing Florida's commission would probably be okay with sanctioning the event because it was deemed, I guess, an essential service. Like sports are considered an essential service now in Florida, so that would make sense. Yeah, that's one thing. We got a we got a memo from the governor saying that professional athletes and sports are essential, so that's why we're allowed to go into the gym. And uh, we're allowed to do some of the things that maybe other places aren't allowed to do. I'm not really sure. But, uh, yeah, I have the memo on my phone. So if there's ever any issues, I can just show it to the police or whatever happens. But, um, yeah, as professional professional fighters and professional sports athletes in the state of Florida are now essential business. So so does that exempt, like, I guess, having a headcount at American Top Team? Like, could you have a full gym there, for example? Uh, no, I think I don't think so. I mean, we, that's not what we do. We have private trainings, like three or four of us on the mat at a time i think they still follow the protocol they're not trying to like oh just because we got this like they're still you know respecting respecting this thing and stuff like that we're not you know it's not just about that but um yeah we're uh no but the gym's not open to the public or nothing because it's only professional athletes so they only let select guys in the gym that have fights coming up so not anybody's allowed in the gym to train even if you're a ufc fighter like if you don't have a fight they're not really allowing you to come in there right now so um, it's a little bit crazy, but you know I'm I'm pretty much one of the only fighters in the planet right now that actually has a bout agreement that signed the fight and it's May 9th. So, um, you know I I got to make sure I'm there every day doing what I'm supposed to be doing and getting ready for May 9th. All right, well we're looking forward to it. It's yourself and Bryce Mitchell, May the 9th. Parts unknown. Who knows where this thing's gonna happen? I appreciate your time. Yeah. I appreciate you, man, for sure. All right, thanks to our guests this week, Yuana Yanjechik. Charles Rosa, Drew Dober, we appreciate their time. And uh, I appreciate you. I appreciate everybody tuning into the TSN MMA show. I know that it doesn't sound quite as good as it usually does. We don't have a podcast studio. We don't have the same production elements. But uh, bear with us, and we uh, we hope we can get back to that sooner rather than later. If that is the case, then that means that things have gotten a lot better in uh, in terms of <laughs> where we're at with the coronavirus. So here's hoping. But uh, we still have a long road ahead of us, I think. And, uh, you know, I, I think that... It's been very uh, interesting for me as somebody who covers this sport. I've been having to think outside the box with my interview questions, with my interview subjects, who I want to talk to, what we're going to discuss, because it's just an interesting time right now in the sport and in the world. But uh, I hope that the way that these interviews have been presented have been uh, valuable to you and that uh, they've helped you take, off, take your mind off of uh, some of the negative elements of what we're experiencing with the coronavirus. You know, uh, I hope that this content is enjoyable during a time where everybody's looking to lift their spirits. So that's what uh, my hope is from doing the TSN MMA show, from doing all of these different interviews. And uh, hopefully it lifts your spirits just a little bit when you get a chance to, to listen to them. Uh, thanks, everybody. And uh, I'll be back next week with another TSN MMA show.